Hello everybody, today on our 15th episode of Inking Out Loud, we'll be wrapping up our read of Blade of Taishao, the second installment in Matthew Woodring Stover's The Acts of Cain. Uh, as with the last three episodes dealing in this universe, I'm once again reminding everyone that today's episode will be an uncensored one, due to the nature of the dark discussions that we're going to have to have uh, around this content. So, uh, once again, I'm your host, Rob Santos. I am joined by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And we are fortunate enough, once again, everybody, to be joined by our own sound engineer, Mr. Patrick McCaffrey. What's up, bitches? <laughs> now, <laughs> I like that. Uh, I Guys, I'm in a bit of a pickle, honestly, because on one hand, my first instinct is to address the manner of the fucked up shit in which we had, you know, in which we found ourselves subjected to <laughs> during the second half of this book. But I feel like coming right out of the gate with, holy what in the fucking shit bitching fuck was that, it kind of risks sounding a bit like juvenile. But I really don't know how else to articulate that feeling. You know, like I, Stover's writing is so good that it kind of makes the layer of filth across everything, like, <laughs> that much more tragic, you know? Like, okay, Stover writing Blade of Taishal was like watching Michelangelo, like, Michelangelo paint with liquid shit. It, like, when you take a step back and you look at the big picture, it's it's breathtaking. But, you know, when you take a nice, close look, all you can think of is, like, <laughs> fucking stinks. Well, uh, I, I was going to say it, it's more like uh, embracing Sidene, where you got to get through the... Okay, yeah, you have to just, like, you know, there's that slick filth Oil. on the surface, and you just got to, like, you know, grit your teeth and, and, and plunge in. Not to mention that you'll inevitably go mad if you stay there too long. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's a good. That's a good point. I hadn't even There's considered something that. Something I'm gonna uh, dive into later in this episode. I'm opening up beer because I'm gonna need a drink for the majority of this discussion. Huh. I forgot. Anyway. I forgot to get beer. I was at the grocery oh, no. store, and, and we could get oh. full strength booze at our supermarkets in Colorado now. And yeah, I I'm, forgot to get some. I'm partway there with you. I forgot to get a thematic a beer, so I just went and raided the fridge, and my stepdad had uh, some more Molson Canadian, so that's nice. what I'm drinking. Well, I have okay, maybe juice, maybe we'll so. blink that until the very end when I mention what I'm drinking. <laughs> anyway, yeah, uh, yeah. So um, I'll kick off Take the us recap off with a then. Recap, yes. Yeah. So where we ended uh, the first half of Blade of Taishal was almost the low point of the book. Um, it was the <laughs> low point, I think, in the overall book, but not for Kane's specific arc. Um, Palace Rill had just been killed. Kane had announced that he was dead and the Kane Slayer is now a thing instead of Wraith and um, Kohlberg has or had just <laughs> demonstrated very vividly to Tanelkoff who's in charge and yeah. uh, shoot off his finger which was pleasant in the middle of his uh, den I think yeah yep <laughs> and, his, um, his uh den yeah <laughs> But so where we pick up is uh, Kane is in the Kane Slayer's custody and he's being shipped to Ankana where he's going to get imprisoned in the Imperial Dungeon once again and will eventually be burned in this giant uh, feast and sacrifice on Assumption Day. Uh, and of course things don't quite go that <laughs> that smoothly. Uh, Kane gets, he does get imprisoned in the Dungeon, but... Uh, he meets uh, Delian there, and he meets Tapas, the Canist uh, monastic ambassador, 
among other people. And then uh, he eventually kind of <laughs> civilizes the pit and foments rebellion. And when the time arrives, they break out. Uh, they, they gain control. And they do so right at a time when everything's really coming to a head. Uh, HRVP is in a complete outbreak because Wraith uh, <laughs> picked up Kosal, which had Palace Rill and the River's kind of consciousness trapped in it. And she invaded Wraith, and they had a, a sort of duel of uh, wills, mm -hmm. and Palace Rill won. And she uh, poured out of Wraith and created a new spring all up and down the Chambagan, but it was tainted by the connection to the blind God through faith. And <laughs> everything went just to shit where we basically have this crazy jungle. Literally everything and figuratively. Is, yeah. Everything is, <laughs> is growing like mad, but it's also leaking uh, the, for lack of a better term, the blood of the blind God, which is oil. It's like magical burning Costed oil. Oil, yeah. And uh, and because everything is growing, it's everything, including HRVP. So everybody who had HRVP in Ankana, it, it just it got crazy accelerated and madness broke out in the city. There was already the ongoing war between, you know, the uh, the Imperial Army and the Thaumaturgic Corps and the Cats versus uh, Kirindal's faces and the Knights of Canton and all the Primals, basically. And so all of this is going on as Kane is uh, <laughs> developing a culture in the pit, but he's eventually sent into the shaft where he has a sort of epiphany about what black flow is and what that means for him, that he has a shell of pure black flow, and he walks again. He magically sort of fixes his legs. And, uh, and then... Again, the, the final converging point is that um, back on Earth, uh, <laughs> they uh, implanted a thought emitter in Tanelkoth and used that to uh, bring him into the blind god. And they send him and Kohlberg, uh, as well as multiple companies of social police, like elite military forces, to Overworld, to Ankana, and there's this crazy crazy battle where there's magically powered, you know, gunships and, and all of this stuff. And, uh, and they're going to nuke the city. And this, and this is pre prevented by, uh, Delian, by Chris sacrificing himself in a kind of a final magical stand. Mm -hmm. And immediately after <laughs> that, uh, Kane uses Kosal to, uh, kill Milekoff and, the fallout is kind of in-depth, and I think we should save that discussion for a little later, but sure. essentially the book ends with Mylekoth and Palace Rill uh, and, like, all the gods um, kind of Lamberac. subsumed yeah. into one called Home, and Home, uh, kind of spearheaded by Mylekoth's personality, has sealed all um, transfer from Earth to Overworld. And cut off all the remaining actors and social police and everything like that. and uh, But allows the possibility to remain for travel between the worlds. Because at the very end, Kane goes back to Earth and blows the fuck up uh, <laughs> Mark Velo's estate yeah, for betraying him. So that's about where the, the book ends. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, it was it was um <laughs> as it states on the on the cover, <laughs> a big, bold, satisfying epic. Uh but, you know, it was it definitely had its fair share of um just yeah. It just had its fair share of and then you insert whatever word you want to use there. Satisfying um, forsooth. Yeah. See? It was yeah, you know, I, I really, again, Stover really, really sh- like shows he's got this great ability. He has this prose that is that is fantastic. Um, he his cadence, his timing, the the manner in which he he paces the entire narrative, it's still spot on. If anything, he's only upped the ante since Heroes Die. Um, but mm-hmm. God damn, it was like I I do want to have a, a lot more discussion today about you know, of course, the nature of that dark content and whether how much it's. Whether it's you know really necessary or not, but I, I still want to say that overall, before I get too much into hating the book for that, <laughs> I want to say it was a fantastic, fantastic story. I loved it. Um, no, I can't yeah. say I loved it. I enjoyed it. No, I can't even say I enjoyed it. it <laughs> <laughs> I find myself so torn here, guys. Um, it is a unique experience. Just, yeah, it was definitely not an experience I've had um, with any other book I've ever read in my life. Um, you want to I, start uh, getting our character discussion out of the way? Finish your thoughts. No, Sorry, yeah, so I think we should keep talking a little bit about the the big picture stuff before we go into sure, characters. Sure. And and if you remember in the last episode, I talked about how in my initial review of uh, Blade of Tashal that I yeah. wrote years ago, I called it a flawed masterpiece. Mm. And, and I gave it like three and a half stars, which seems like a weird rating for something that you call a masterpiece. But now I think you you have a better understanding of why I I have this complicated relationship yeah. with this book. Yeah. Because the things he does in the book, he, he does some incredible things as a writer with Blade of Taishal. And he has really, really lofty ambitions with with this book. But Agreed. he and and he mostly pulls it off, but there are some some missteps that I think are not necessarily even related to what he was trying to pull off. Namely like the the really really dark uh over the top graphic content um i think is the biggest misstep in this book and it's not something that i if you were to ask matthew stover i doubt he would say oh yeah i messed up with that i would i bet he would say yeah that's exactly what i meant to do sure of course but for for you know my my perspective well, no, I don't. I don't even think it's a saving face thing. I think that is legitimately what he set out to do. He set out to make the grimmest, darkest story possible, and he succeeded in that. But for me, at least, like that success isn't necessarily a good thing. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Know? Okay. Okay. Uh, but, no, I, I I agree. It's like if you set out, and and if that is exactly what he what he did and what he accomplished, I will say bravo. That was a damn good job. He set himself to do that, <laughs> and he he pulled it off. But I don't know how I feel about somebody setting out to write a dark book for the sake of writing a dark book. If you yes. yeah, like, if you can think of a narrative that justifies it somehow, and I don't think that the kind of growth that we saw in our characters in this volume really justifies how deep down into the shit they went. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I'm just, again, I, I'm, I'm going to spend a lot of this podcast really, really confused about what I'm trying to say. Uh, but I also think anybody who discusses this book who really appreciates this book is going to have a lot of the same issues mm. yeah I, I need to start at least the first segment of my rant <laughs> oh yeah this this is uh basically the the big topic for me 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I read a lot of dark shit. Yeah. And and I like it uh, for the sure. most part. Um, I teach his own. I'm not a big fan I don't of mind when things are dark. Um, when when they're dark for the sake of being dark, and there's nothing redeeming about it. The, the, okay, redemption is one of the bigger things that I have a problem with in this book. There's all this horrible okay, stuff that yep, happens. Yep, yep. And it is explicitly stated in the text <laughs> numerous times that, well, that's just the way things are. And, like, deep down, when you strip away all the layers of BS that people build up around themselves, i.e. things that are positive, then sure. <laughs> all of that is an illusion, and what you really get at the bottom of it all is this: is the, the shaft. Cain is in the shaft when he's having these mm-hmm. reflections. And mm-hmm. he never tries to elevate uh, the tone from there, despite the darkness. Like, yeah... Oathbringer spoilers coming up for people. Okay, yeah, spoilers. If you haven't read that book, but here's, but it's a good example, one that we're all familiar with. Um, The darkness in Oathbringer is not on the same level, I grant you, (laughs) but there is still there are moments that make you sit up, right? Sure. But the whole point of Oathbringer was to start down there at the bottom and then find a way to come up, out of it, and the characters do that through personal growth. achievements virtue all yeah. of the, all of this good stuff <clears throat> which is really satisfying to to read but i found absent from the main characters in this book with uh, the exception of chris chris is yeah. basically okay. the best person in the <laughs> oh, series far and away and, yeah yeah but you know i almost get the impression that it's like well if more horrible shit had happened to him, then he'd just be just as bad as all of the rest of them too. I don't yeah. get and that think impression. Of, think about I, where we start, where we are, were introduced to Chris Hansen. He he was introduced to us in Chapter Zero as this sort of just kind of rich, spoiled kid who's really a lot more concerned about his reputation yeah. than than anything else. Um, and you think about where he ends up. I mean, talk about black yeah. and white. Well, and it's it's funny you say black and white there, too, because black and white is the comparison between Cain and Delia, between Hari and Chris. And going back to when we're really, really first introduced, it is the opening page. A tale is told of twin boys born to different mothers. One is dark by nature, the other light. Oh, shit, yeah. So so I think that right there, there's, there's enough in this book, I think, to... To safely say that Chris wouldn't have become a product of bad things happening to him the way Kane did. That he he did have really bad things happen to him in this book. And he championed above yeah. those things. He he remained a real hero in ways that Kane is not a hero. You know, Palace yeah. Rail is not a heroine. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, in, yeah, in every single way that he, that Kane wasn't, Delia was there. Here's another open question: What does sure, it okay. say? What does it say about the tone of the the book and the characters overall? That by nature they are black or white. It's not. It's not their actions that push them in one direction or another. It's just what they are. That bothers me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that on your note of like redemption yeah that kind of yeah gives the reader the sense that 
there's an inevitability to mm-hmm. Kane being like an anti-hero. Right. And, and that there's no chance yeah. for him to claw his way or <clears throat> inch toward daylight. Mm-hmm. Because when it comes down to it by the end of this book, you know, the inch toward daylight mantra from Heroes Die uh, is is completely thrown by the wayside after the shaft, you know? Like, it's... it's uh, the the actual line is used funnily enough when he's like crawling up the shaft where yep. he he's like oh this is going to take forever it's going to be horrible to do this but i'm going to i'm going to like elbows and hands pull myself up these <laughs> steps and inch toward daylight but m- metaphorically speaking he's not inching toward daylight because this um uh apotheosis he's reached is an acceptance of uh, coincidence and an acceptance of crappy things happening in life and him choosing, I will live with this. I won't rise above it. I'll yeah. live with it. Do you yeah. guys get um, vaguely, well, not even vaguely, nihilistic undertones throughout this book in particular oh, I, I have yes uh, i have a paragraph uh written down uh, with with some with some talking points that i wanted to, to definitely you know explore during the course of this of this episode here <clears throat> specifically with chris and his relationship with with harry michelson with with kane um and how he actually influences kane um but a lot of this i had really written down in my area for like specific like character point discussions do you want to dive into the characters since we're already like right here talking about these two or do you want to um I, I think we should continue with the high level stuff for a little bit more because yeah, sure. I, okay. I do have more to say on that yeah um and, and pat because uh, we haven't even we're, we're just scratching the surface of the philosophy in this book true, and true. and that's where the other misstep i think faith, really is, yeah yeah the other misstep that i think uh uh, Stover had in this book that prevents it from being like a true masterpiece is that it gets a little like novel gazy, uh, uh, navel gazy. Sorry, <laughs> uh, <laughs> wow, <laughs> Freudian slip, I guess. <laughs> um, sure, it's let's okay. go with that. Yeah, uh, you're forgiven. But, I mean, I mean, it's it's there. There are points where the the entire focus of the book slows down to have these extended philosophical musings that are in nature nihilistic yeah and they lead they and, lead nowhere and uh yeah. exactly there's <clears throat> there's no there's no real like uh, uh payoff for these yeah. other than Kane's like understanding of black flow but it there's no catharsis. There's no catharsis at the end of this book, but what you get is revenge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean you get a little bit of that. Um, and and we, what, we as sorry, sorry, Rob. You oh, it's, it's okay. Uh, basically, what I was just was getting at is it's exactly what I was trying to touch upon when I when I use my my simile at the top of the episode here about yeah. watching like reading this book is, is is like watching you know Michelangelo paint with liquid shit because mm-hmm. it, it's it's. He's a really talented writer. It's it's a it's a great you know masterpiece to behold. You can stand back and look at all the detail, all the talent that goes into crafting something like that. The contrast, you know, the shapes, everything that it takes, the the, the flow of attention where your eyes go. But at the same time, 
it's if you if you just get down to the the materials he's using and what it means everything in this it's just this kind of hopeless message mm. maybe a message of mm-hmm. hopelessness if, if if that's you know what you want to say yeah like, uh, it, and again i think it just comes out of what drew was was talking about and pat you i think you started us off on this it comes down to whether or not there was any kind of <laughs> pivotal change in in the way that the characters you know and in, in their outlook on life mm-hmm. and Hari didn't retain whoever you want to call it he didn't really get he didn't gain a lot he, he, in terms of his attitude in terms of, of his outlook uh he didn't really learn much i would mm-hmm. say um, he, it was he, just he had more of that test. in the previous book yeah but, i would uh, i absolutely agree yeah that wasn't as profound um as it could have been in that book or as it could have been in this book that could have mm-hmm. been a good first step to launch yeah. into something uh deeper in this yeah. book but instead we get well nothing really matters which uh, to any artist who uses that kind who who ends up saying that that's a real problem for them they're shooting themselves in the foot because then mm-hmm. the uh audience immediately has to ask well why does this matter then mm-hmm. why am i bothering to waste my time reading about this character who doesn't matter. This kind yeah. of sounds like a little bit of Cainism, doesn't well, it? Well, so, a little bit, so right? I would say if you're if you're going to tie this back in, <laughs> Stover does sort of hedge his bets in that because, yes, he comes to this conclusion that you know nothing really matters and and shit happens, but so you then ask the the question, you know, well then why does this book matter? And the answer from the philosophy in this is well because I chose for it to matter. I want it to matter. Yeah, and that's 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 a whole that's that's basically where but, my entire uh, thing revolves but, around. But you see. know, so there's an answer in the book for that. At the same time, though, that is, I mean, that is absolutely not a philosophy I can get behind. That is in a the height of selfish philosophy. Uh, yeah, it's it's self centeredness. It's this is what I want, and fuck you all. You could take that to <laughs> the know? to the extreme points of view of justifying any atrocity yeah. that one could care yeah. to it's, commit against another. I mean, how many times does Tapas talk to, to Chris in the pit and she says, Tapas. like, what what do you want and what are you willing to do to get it? That's all that matters. Yeah. That's what she says. That's the, the heart of Canist like philosophy. Her, yeah, interpretation of Canism. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. yeah I, I, and so I think we're all pretty much in agreement mm-hmm. that, that the philosophy in this book is a, is mm-hmm. a bit of a flaw. Yeah. That, and like like you're saying, Drew, that is what kept this uh, the from, book and the series as a whole from elevating to uh, like the real soaring heights of the fiction that I read. Like you might call me selfish or entitled for having this viewpoint, and I don't care. But I read <laughs> fantasy and sci-fi to be elevated. Sure. Now, sure. if 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 that involves some darkness, so the fuck be it. But. <laughs> Sure. That, but I did not feel elevated after reading this book. Um, there was certainly an adrenaline high at the end of this book, because oh, yeah. the climax was phenomenal. Like, say what you will about the the underlying philosophy and and themes in this book, the way it ended was so damn good. Yes, like, as, as far uh, as events in the book that I'm happy happened, yeah, uh, the the explosion was. That was good. Uh, the, the the way he wrote that whole Wait, sequence with the nuke, yep. like the the tension just ratcheted it 
up. I mean, oh my gosh. Are you, are you talking about like the 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 the, the, the microsecond by microsecond breakdown of what's happening oh, as this? But this even kind of even before that though, like because there's the there's like the little lines where it's like. Uh, Chris Hansen had nine minutes to live. Oh yeah, and, and six like, minutes and then, to live. Yeah, and, and, then, oh. well, and then of course once they drop the payload, it's one hundred and seventy three seconds left to live, or something like yeah, that. You know, yeah, yeah. Like, and then yeah, it yeah. gets down to the point where he's doing things in the like minute amounts of time between microseconds yeah. and like ten to the minus four microseconds. Start, yeah, starts like, in his pineal gland. His yeah. brain is boiling from X rays, gamma bursts. Yeah. Oh, I was like, that's cool. Okay, okay, I can get on board with that. Yeah, it is all yeah. good enough for me to wish that Stover was in a better place when he wrote this. Because it does read to me like something... No, seriously. No, like he's got a point. someone who was in the midst of a deep depression. Yeah. And it's not often with a series or any author at all but that he, you, can, you can sort of look at a given work in their catalog and kind of analyze their emotional state as opposed to the things that came before and after it. Yeah. Like The Wheel of Time, for all the books, the, the tone is very consistent throughout the whole thing. Mm-hmm. The tone is consistent, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, <clears throat> well, so it's it's funny you say it because I I agree. I think that Blade of Taishal is by far the darkest book in the series. And mm-hmm. when we get to Kane Blackknife, there's a there's a note of levity throughout it, a, a sort of carefree, um, no more shit. humorous aspect to Kane Blackknife. Oh, that I, like I think that, you told me that last week. I, yeah. I feel like when Stover was writing this, he was like, I I have to do these things get and then when he got to kane black knife he's like well now i am free to do whatever i want with kane and and the way again going back to my personal reviews of these i called kane black knife an unadulterated love letter from the author to his main character okay like it's it's fun in ways that Blade of Taishal just is not fun. A little no, better about no. going forward. <laughs> yeah, it makes me feel a little better about going yeah. forward hearing you say that at least. Uh, I was about, really about trepidatious after finishing this book for the first time about uh, where the series was going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that, I, I have yeah. to admit a lot of confusion uh-huh. when I got there. But that's that's a we'll conversation get, for another well, day. Well, I mean, yeah. I'll come right out right now and say straight up, without a doubt in my mind, that if it weren't for this podcast, if I had just picked up these books, I probably would have made it through Heroes Die. I can guarantee you I would not have made it through Blade of Taishal. I would, yeah, I, would have, I would have dropped it right around the scene probably in, 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 in Chapter 9 when when uh, Kane has to witness Palace Real's death. Yeah. And I would definitely like without a doubt if i somehow made it through that i would have dropped it in chapter 16 okay. I, I like i just yeah. i i would have dropped it right there is that when um, is that, that when all the stuff is happening with faith yes yeah. that's exactly yeah mm-hmm. um that's what that's when i made the decision i was like okay this is yeah no i'm i don't know how he's going to try and redeem this but I, I that was the point at which i said nope that is unequivocally without a doubt too much and a lot okay so and this is a big problem of mine Going back just briefly to a, an earlier discussion point we had in this episode about um, whether it's, you know, whether, okay, yeah, it kind of mimics real life. You can have the author say what they want to say. Oh, yeah, it's it's the nitty gritty, but, you know, it's just realistic. Shit happens. It's it's that kind of pointless, nihilistic view that's like, you know, it's, it's a little more realistic. But I don't read fantasy for yeah. realism. That seems mm-hmm. kind of <laughs> counterproductive to me. Well, when I, I read fantasy... Indeed. To, to experience that which doesn't normally happen 
here in life that was right. spectacular things that no one here are ever going to really yeah. experience i love that complete you know detachment from reality the escape that it offers um, like i i God, think that's depressing to put it that way but just it's not just it's not just escapism though no it's, it's not, not. I, it's not I, it's a, that's definitely a part of it if if the authors or you know whatever uh, do their jobs right um there are things that tie back around to reality, and once we yeah. leave the work behind, we tackle the world again with yes. a, a fresh air uh, or with new ideas and new new perspective, mm -hmm. new resilience. Yeah, that's the if we can draw that from the work that we're experiencing. That is supposed to be kind of the ultimate goal of speculative fiction. It allows yeah. you to discuss and and analyze and critique aspects of the real world from a remove. You know, it, it allows you to look at yes. things from a different perspective and uh, and and get your, your readers thinking. But like Rob's saying, I really enjoy the fantastic as well. Oh, certainly. Like, yeah, I mean, when, escapism is a thing. When you know? I when I can ride on the back of a dragon into battle in real life. <laughs> Why was that already the I'll image I was using? Before you even mentioned that, I was thinking of like the like dragon riding on a back somewhere. <laughs> like, why yeah. is that? What you like? It's, it's the just, classic. Like, it's, yeah, it's the cliche. It's yeah. The, <laughs> Well, so, I don't really, um, I, honestly, I hate dragons. Just I'll just throw that out there too. Fuck dragons. Anyway, sorry. Go oh, on. Well, uh, yeah, overdone. I, I want to yeah. rewind just like a little bit and, and yeah, go on. Staying on the the high level like movie? kind of discussion of this book, but going back sorry, to where I was talking about the the tone of Blade of Taishal versus uh, the tones of like Heroes Die and Kane Black Knife, the books before and after it. Mm -hmm. Um, what did you think of the humor in this book? I loved it. The humor was way better than... It, well, not way better, but it was better than it was in Heroes Die. I actually loved the humor in this book. Okay. Uh, especially the situational humor. Like, I, may, I touched on this very briefly in the last episode, but the situational humor was was just fucking awesome. And, of course, we had our fill, our fair share of Kane's epic one-liners. Um, yeah. No, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I felt it improved. He can, uh, he can make me chuckle, but overall, I think um, he tends toward being too vulgar in... In sure. his humor, like if he yeah. dialed it back twenty <laughs> to fifteen percent, I think I'd enjoy it a little more. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. So I, I, I don't know if there's, I don't know if I see much of a areas. difference between the humor in this book and the one in the pre and the previous I, book. It's, I yeah. think, I would say it's on the same level for me. The the, the 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 scene that comes specifically to mind was was Tanel Koth acting as a like super hacker with his godlike ability. Uh, uh, from yeah. Earth. I mean, that was just using using Tunnel Koth in that in that fashion was just kind of, the situational humor there was was just shining to me. I loved it. And then of course you have an epic one liner from Tunnel Koth there. You know, it's like, did it work? We succeeded. Are you sure? I am Tunnel Koth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, was I weird. love that. Like, I want to discuss that line specifically when we talk about Tunnel Koth's character. Well, um, so, so, so like, I, you want to say something? Yeah. Yeah, I have like a couple of lines that I highlighted because I I do think like while Heroes Die was funny, yeah, bring I it think. Out, man. There were some better, like, really highlight moments in this one. And one of them is uh, Kane's kind of first encounter in the pit with Adder. Mm -hmm. uh, the first time I read this book, I was, you know, sitting on the couch out in our, you know, in our family room. And my wife was back in her room. Yeah, and she's, like, on the computer doing something. And, and I burst out laughing. And she <laughs> yelled at me because she is like, I don't want to know. Don't talk about it. But the, the, but it's it's when Kane is trying to get like a drink of water and and he just goes and takes a drink of water without like paying the toll as it were, and 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 
adder, you know, he's like, you know, Kane, I think in the mouth isn't enough. Not for you. I think I'm going to have to do you. Do your ass. That's like a, a you know, a surcharge, you know, yeah. for taking the drink on credit. And then Kane's response is just brilliant, where he's like, what is it with you guys? This whole butt raping thing, I don't get it. I mean, I don't have any quarrel with rum pumpers. Whatever sharpens your sword, you know what I mean? But what is it about nutballs like you that makes you want to fuck a straight? Like, <laughs> but just like the terminology there, like rum pumpers and whatever sharpens your sword. Like, <laughs> yeah, like it, it's, it's the, the colorful, creative language Kane uses over and over and over again throughout these books. Yeah. It, just I haven't read anything like it, and and I've read you know I, I've read like Scott Lynch and Joe Abercrombie and like these guys that sure. people talk oh, about Scott being Lynch hilarious. Is in this regard, yeah, but, but like is, oh. yeah, Scott Lynch is hilarious, yeah, uh, but no. but he doesn't quite have the same like turn of phrase that Matthew Stover yeah. does. Like it's, it's not, not the same, um, although they have similar strengths in well, this. Stover's regard. feels yeah, a I, lot I, more I, natural to start with. It like you know Scott Lynch has a style where it's very flowery. It, but it, I mean, it's, it's fucking on it's unparalleled. But <laughs> nice Stover's got a more kind of modern feel to his yeah. to his insults, to his and, vulgar and I, language, to his yeah. I feel like Scott Lynch uses curse words as a little more of a crutch in his yes. one-liners than Stover does. Stover gets more creative. I think yeah, Lynch is has the same flaw. Yeah. I mean, but, the sea is full of fish. But that said, the other one that I have to bring up. Because it, it's, I mean, if we're talking about one-liners, it has to be there. It's when, you know, uh, when Kane is, has chopped Milecoth in half. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he I has this beautifully written moment. Uh, I, I mean, it's, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's like a page and a half long, but it's, it's beautifully written, great imagery, where he has this touching heart-to-heart -heart moment with Palace Rill's consciousness and their final, like, goodbye from each other, right? Mm -hmm. And and it's it's this... I, I don't have, like, words <laughs> to talk about how <coughs> genius the writing is. There, yeah. but, but the... You know, it, it's, it's this profound moment and it ends with Shauna says, Goodbye, Hari, and I cannot even reply. Instead, I give farewell to the man trapped within the dying god at my feet. Happy Assumption Day, fucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, like he builds up over the course of like a, a full page of beautiful, flowery, emotional, yeah. you know, and then just drops that line. <laughs> it, it just it's like this it's like watching this giant beautiful flower just blossom in real time right before your <laughs> eyes at thousands of times speed. It's gorgeous. What's it going to turn into? This central flower a petal opens up and it's a middle finger, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty I much. I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. So I want to I want to touch on the characters a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um Dope. the first uh the the first <laughs> non-character that I want to talk about Oh, um, non-character. So, so it's we've been we've been saying before that in this <clears throat> book he he goes as far as one can go that he makes it as bad as it can get. That's not strictly speaking true because of faith. Faith Hold is on, not really a Stover. Yeah, I mean Stover. Stover yeah, okay. is not going as far as he could have because of the character of faith, and I say character in its loosest sense because she's just a girl. We don't. I mean, we she has very little character. She has no problem. personality. 
She has no uh, no nuance. I mean, she's a just she's well, I mean, just she's a kid. Yeah, she's, How much personality? Well, well, but her her, her role in the story, Ascorsis and Scott Card, got much personality of six year old. Used to torture yes. that fucking yeah. character. Yeah, yeah, she's a totem <laughs> for Kane more than a character in I would, and of herself. I'm arguing that point. all of that would have been it. Kind of didn't hit me that emotionally hard, and it would have if she if. If she was a person, yeah. If I suppose, y- yeah. I like, mean, it still hit me pretty fucking hard. <laughs> yeah, I no. I'm sorry. It just it. No, sorry. If it, it it was no reading that. I what was like I like I said earlier was it was in chapter sixteen. I remember that specifically because I remember looking at it and thinking I'm gonna bring this part up specifically. Um, it was. She's six. She's she's she has a personality. I think a little bit. Um, she's definitely a narrative device. She's used by Stover as the, the the one manner in which he could torture his character farther, like in, in a much more gruesome and disgusting way than he could ever have imagined um, physically doing to him. However, um, no, I'm not like I honestly lost my train of thought there. No, like, well, I can't. The, I can't. I can't like, like. Sorry. Go on. Go ahead. I'll see if I can finish that thought in, in response to Pat's comment, like, yeah, he could have done worse with Faith. Like, he could have made what happened to her more, more physical, like, worse in the physical sense. Because most he of could her have gone into more anguish, most of her anguish is magical, mental, like, yeah. But but it is still like it's. There, there's only so much you can read about a six-year-old girl sedated and strapped to like a gurney screaming in anguish so many times you can hear these descriptions before you're just like like just stop just you know down i i didn't mean worse in the sense that like like what you meant like they could have been torturing her physically or raping her physically while that happened i mean yes you're you're right that could have happened and and especially because there was the (sighs) the the explicit uh, uh, yep. description that that was going to happen. I mean, the, the number of times Kohlberg is standing there with like his face like you know smeared uh, okay, against the window. That, like, <laughs> you oh, got it right yeah. as I was Disgusting. leaning forward to say that. I was I saying mean, the one detail to me uh, that really that actually the, the one detail uh, that sticks out more than anything other. Just as Drew mentioned that, I was leaning forward to say it was when Kohlberg had his face pressed against his window, and he, you could just see like the description of his of his the fog of his breath. Pulsating yeah. against that yeah. window with like this animal pant, and I was like, "This is like, I mean, it was too much hours yes. ago." Yeah, it, it like yeah. It, you know it. When you're ramping up and up and up, you eventually hit a ceiling. Um, and I think that was the ceiling. Yes. No, my I, ceiling was a little I'll, before that, but that was. Well, well, no, the ceiling in the book <clears throat> was the ce- like oh. that scene was the ceiling. That yep. we reached in Blade of Tai Shao. Sure. My personal event horizon was way, 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 way <laughs> back in like Heroes Die. Like, <laughs> yeah, okay. like when when freaking Arcadial is is pouring the wasp larvae into Lambrak's leg. That yes! was about where I was like, okay, uh, all right. Okay. As soon as they brought <laughs> bugs into people's flesh into the equation was probably the worst part of the book for me. Oh, like, definitely. Yeah, fuck yeah. this shit, yeah. I'm out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, but, it's like... Uh, I, I just, yeah, I honestly but think so, I, I would have a better impression. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, well, I want to, I want to go back to Pat because he was the one who initially yeah, yeah, brought yeah, up faith, I mean, and sorry. I think we interrupted his point. Yeah. 
the I I've read a, plenty of good child characters. Um, they exist. It's not sure. like Faith couldn't have been developed more as a character. All he just did. And I guess I'm grateful, ironically, oh, yeah. that that he didn't develop her. Because all I'm saying is, if if he had, that situation would have been worse from our perspective. Mm -hmm. Oh god, it would have been more painful. Mm -hmm. yeah. The ceiling could have actually been raised just for that sequence. I guess the um, fact that she had so few viewpoints was kind of a, was a good yeah, thing for like the if, Yeah, if he had made Faith like 10 or 11 yeah. and had points of view from her and heroes die, and then yeah. and then had her like as a semi-main character in this and then go through all that, that would have been horrific. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and, and slightly on the other end of that, you know how I, I feel he could have made that at least a little more palatable? Um, if he had found a way to magically wipe her mind at the end. Yeah, you know, like at, like at least cut her that much fucking slack. Like, how do you something to make it okay? Yeah, I mean that girl's not. It doesn't make it okay, kind of but normal. I mean it would. Uh, God damn it! Just think of what that girl has to live with now. Mm -hmm. Because of who her I mean, dad she, is. At she least, didn't... at least at the end of the book, she has her link to the river. To Palace Road. Yeah, she still has her link to the river and to the presence there. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Something, but that's a that's a thin read. If you're gonna mm -hmm. try and live the rest of your life in any way, even approaching sanity. Yep. I agree. Speaking of not being able to live your life in any way approaching sanity, how about uh, Wraith? Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't have any specific thoughts about Wraith. Well, I think I did, but uh, nothing like about his character development. Um, I liked where it went. Uh, I. <laughs> I like where he left off. Uh, and I think his scenes were just, artistically speaking, the best written scenes. Um, the most beautiful prose came out of Wraith's scenes, uh, mm -hmm. specifically. Um, he yeah. um, doesn't have to be the man that he becomes, just okay. because of what happens to his father. Um, which is kind of made explicit for me in the sequence where he's riding with uh, Kane and mm -hmm. they're um, talking to each other. That's where Wraith really came alive yeah, for oh me yeah. and I oh think yeah. probably for, for many other readers as well. Sorry, say that. Uh, sorry, I just uh, I had a problem on my phone there. Uh, uh, which scene with Wraith? The, the sequence where uh, Kane uh, and oh, he... Oh, they're traveling together through post, the... Post, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, got you. Kind of bearing their souls to one another. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's when Wraith really came alive, and he became mm -hmm. one of my favorite characters in in the in the series at that moment. Um, he didn't need to go as far as he did, and that's kind of... It, it seems to me like he just needed to talk about his problems <laughs> with some qualified therapist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then or, all of no, this could have been avoided. It's not like, <laughs> like a, a fast and situation where it's just like, there. you are filth. Yeah, he's a psychopath. I don't know. I don't know how you became filth, <laughs> but... Yeah. No, he was... He, <sighs> Baird was born a psychopath. Like, like that guy is just horrible. But Wraith, Wraith has, like, mental... Unresolved mental and mm -hmm. psychological issues yes. that... Had he had a licensed therapist when he was like eleven, we never would have gotten the events of Blade Correct. of Dashiell. <laughs> I suppose. But, I suppose. Yeah. But Pat has a good point there with Wraith, where where he ends the book, he is probably the most compelling character in the series because he's the one, uh, the one character who I think exemplifies 
what Pat was talking about earlier, what he wants from darker stories, where Wraith comes from this very dark, very flawed, evil place, essentially, and learns. He grows, and yeah. he strives towards light, and he makes sacrifices at yeah. the end. He 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 has a you know a metaphorical, barely metaphorical stigmata that he chooses to carry with him as like you know sticking with the the Christian Catholic imagery here like yeah it's his cross to bear that his hand is eternally burning with the oil of the blood god and that he is the the compacted link the the, the blind god keeps with overworld because that's like you know how the magic has to work you know it he's the channel he's the focus point and he has to be strong for the rest of his life and he accepts yeah. that willingly and he wanted that i mean that scene with with delian and and wraith and delian flashes on him and and like and gains this understanding of what wraith wants and what wraith mm -hmm. needs mm -hmm. and what he really needs is sacrifice he he yeah. He doesn't want to be forgiven. You know, he, he needs a cross to bear. And he needs to grow as a person. And he's given this opportunity to do so. Yeah. So where do we think that pivotal moment was for Wraith? Because I, I have a theory. Uh, well, I mean, I guess... Oh, it's on the boat. Good... What, sorry? On the boat. I think, yeah, I think like, it's when, the... When he learns that his, that, what, that his murder of Pallas Real um, is actually going to end humanity... Um, when when he realized that Palace Real was actively working against this HRVP and he was dooming humanity in his evil actions for like his selfish revenge, I'm hesitant to say that's the point because sure. that's um, I think he didn't quite figure it out yet at that point. I think the turning point for him was after Kane left the boat. And he feels the pull of his addiction to the cane mirror. And he refuses to go look at it one last time. Okay. <clears throat> I think that's the turning point with Wraith. Yeah. He's... Okay. It's, it's, a, it's gradual. Which is nice. It's not, uh, not heavy-handed in that sense. Mm -hmm. Again, uh, something I appreciate about his character. Um... Like talking about Stover's the way he the way he writes this character of of Wraith uh, the the manner like it's almost like he like he hits this switch and he just starts writing in a much more eloquent manner it's like I have a quote written down here from the narrative it's just a couple it's a few sentences and I I, I it really really uh, it kind of resonated with me because it was just so well uh, so well worded um, and this is uh, something that Drew was talking about actually just a, a couple minutes ago. Um, so in the text here, it was as he's stumbling, as Wraith is stumbling through the burning city, he's looking for Cain, and <clears throat> he felt the gate that he, that the goddess had closed in his mind, the gate that his touch upon the sword had reopened. He turned his will upon that gate and shattered it so that it would never close again. He would bear the ache, the legion of rats that chewed into his guts, that he would bear the black oil stigmatum, small enough penance, <clears throat> sorry, small enough penance for his great sins. So we see, like, even at the very end, the the the, the main reason, the whole, the whole, uh, I guess, crutch of his of his character there at the end, the reason for his total turnaround is because he believes he has this penance. 
he has this 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 thing to atone for, um, and that of course I I assume is just the way that like the manner in which he has doomed the world. He's mm-hmm. very correct. Eyes. He's very correct in that he has much yeah, to like, atone yeah. for. But... <laughs> yeah, you know, like this is this is his self-imposed. Well, I guess uh, any kind of penance really is self-imposed. But like this is what he believes he has to do to atone for what he considers his sins. Mm-hmm. So he's already turned at that point. He considers them to be sins, but he has still something to pay for. Mm-hmm. And so, right. on the topic of like sins and and the religious connotations there, Wraith has a really interesting relationship with religion because he grew up a you know a beloved child of Milkov, and into his adult life, and especially in the events of this book, he he learns the truth behind the religion and and he you know maybe this is like you know meta canist philosophy crossing characters even though he's not a self-professed canist but the scene when he uh goes back into the crates on the barge to look at kosal and and to, to touch it and that's when he sets off the whole events of the climax there's there's a really interesting paragraph where he says, Though he now knew the truth behind the faith he'd practiced these many years, the faith remained. Somehow, he was able to see Cain as both an ordinary man and as the enemy of God, capitals, at the same time, without contradiction. Within this case was a blade that was only a weapon, but also a mythic symbol of the power of a god, who was only a man but no less a god. And so Wraith, it's it's just another layer of his character where Wraith is a man of contradictions from the get-go, right? Yeah. And and by the end of the book, he's gaining an awareness of his, of his contradictions, but he still makes his choices as a character. And and this is one of them where he chooses to believe in Milkoff nonetheless, though he knows yeah. that Hanto the Scythe was originally just a, some random disfigured necromancer, but became, in essence, a god, <clears throat> not because he gained all this magical power, but because of the power of the faith of the beloved children, that the, the, um, the collective like cultural consciousness of being beloved children of Milekoth is yeah. what wraith needs as a touchstone in his life it, you know <clears throat> not even not just wraith uh there was a moment with ton Elkoth as well speaking of of course of, of contradictions and what it could mean for the importance of someone's character in chapter 18 uh <laughs> ton Elkoth, we got him described as you know the man who had been a god yes uh and then you know he loses himself in the presence of the blind god who you know and then when he returns to earth and he opens his eyes as the god who had been a man mm-hmm so this this plays along into our whole uh, our 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 just you know uh, subject of discussion here um, contradictions and and how important they can be for a character's growth and and how useful they can be as a narrative device as well. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and and this goes back to heroes die even with the Hari Kane dichotomy. Yeah, you know, like it's it's a, a series long theme that Stover definitely digs into a lot, mostly in this book, but but it's there for sure. I mean, we we have uh, multiple examples of it. Yeah. There's there's a lot of duality 
in this series. <laughs> yeah, you could say that for sure. And uh, and and the, <coughs> the myth. So you were you're bringing up the whole idea of the the man who had been a god and then the god who had been a man. Um, you know, I talked about the myth, the end of chapter myth construction that he does. You know, Definitely in the last did. episode, and we we discover at the end of this book that uh, Chris, that Delian, is the one who wrote this myth. That this is his way of kind of processing the events and and and, and uh, coming to grips with what happened and why and finding meaning and and it's you know it's fun because it was a way for Stover to tell us in advance what's going to happen while leaving things mysterious. You know, it's yeah. it's great foreshadowing. It's it is. foreshadowing on a level of like, you know, Robert Jordan in the Wheel of Time with the prophecies and things where where he outright says this is what's going to happen except there's so much leeway in the wording that you had whole theory sites popping up for 15, 20 years and people arguing. Just enough open to interpretation. Mm -hmm. Not too much, not too little. <clears throat> Definitely. Yeah, and, and, and so, you know, you get this point at the, like, the first page of the book where it says, you know, like the, the twins, the one, one is dark, one is light, one is rich, one is poor, all that, and it says they both die fighting the blind god. Yeah. And right off the bat, we're, we're kind of put on our guard because we know the first book was called Heroes Die, and Cain, our... Yeah, that's a depressing title, isn't it? Our, our ostensible hero, uh, dies metaphorically, but not literally. And then, so we have, in this book, we're like, okay, they both die fighting the blind god. Well, we already know he likes to play with metaphor. So, what what's really going to happen? And then, midway through the book, Cain dies, metaphorically, once again. And we're like, oh, okay. Yeah. So this is, but then at the Cain end of the book... Dead. Chris yeah. does die. He blows up. Like, well, there's there's yeah. a literal death. And then, once again, he subverts our expectations with, uh, you know, the, the resurrection of, of Delian. Not Chris, but Delian. And the the creation of, an, uh, of a primal emperor who is only there because he is going to, like Wraith, carry a cross. But even more than Wraith, an eternal cross. He's immortal. If he gets killed, yeah. like like he won't die of sickness or old age. But if he gets killed, home, Milkov, Tenaldion, whatever you want to call it, like they're just gonna rebuild his body and put his consciousness right back in it. Yeah, that's, like that's, this is an I, eternal I like cross to bear. That. He deserved so, to hear that. I think um, Delian. Yeah. Well, like speaking of of Chris slash Delian, uh, do, do you want to move on to that character like officially or? Do you mm -hmm. think we should, like, mm -hmm. cover a main character? Well, I guess a more main character, like Kane first. Let's leave Kane for last. Ray. Okay, let's save Kane for last. So, and and this is, I'm kind of glad we get the chance to do this here and now, because last week I didn't really get <clears throat> to discuss much about uh, Chris uh, Delian. Um, or was that Wraith? That I had a whole bunch we didn't of talk no, about Wraith Chris. last week. Oh, we didn't talk Wraith about Wraith at all last about? week. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. So speaking though of Chris, I still have a few uh, a few points that I wanted to get out of the way. Mm -hmm. Um. So. Okay. So hold on a second here. Let me make sure I, I got my. Uh, for some reason, I thought it was Wraith that we hadn't discussed. I'm just gonna move slightly more down the list. Okay. So there's a reason 
that I found that that Kari, uh, Kari, sorry, Chris and Hari needed to become friends. <laughs> I do that all the time, by the way. I'm so impressed that I got 15 episodes without doing that yet. Another but it will happen yeah. more in the future. It will happen. I guarantee. Kari. Yeah. Kari <laughs> so, all four. Anyway, they 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 needed to become friends. And I have a feeling that this is because there was a lesson that Hari needs to be taught. And it's a lesson that only Chris can teach him. And that lesson is... Well, hold on. Let me back up a step here. When Hari argues against his uh, <laughs> reputation, you know, everything's supernatural. Um, you know, the references to Vishnu, Shiva, the Destroyer. Yeah, yeah. Like, no. He, Chris is attempting to ascribe to Cain. You know, Cain just waves it off as, you know, coincidence. He says, it doesn't mean anything. His, But Cain's mistake, though... And what I think Chris is teaching him here is that we begin to see, you know, coincidence doesn't mean irrelevant. You know, it's as Chris himself points out, everything yes. is a coincidence, Hari. It, what what matters is what you decide it means. Um, and in this case, and it's at this point, we get the starting point, you know, the edge from which Kane can eventually take that leap of faith. Mm-hmm. You know, and speaking of faith, this is what I wanted to touch on earlier, too. This is a great example of, of what I think the philosophy of faith itself is it's not the nature of coincidence that matters it's so much as how you interpret that co- that coincidence um so that and that i think is the entire purpose of chris's character up to this point so i will comment on that within the bounds of this story yeah sure and i think that is exactly what stover's going for yeah and it's why at the end of this book, we are given to understand that the Cainist philosophy is the heart of all other philosophies, religions, faiths. And that's why, despite all book long, Tapas saying, it's not religion, it's philosophy. And at the end, being like, oh yeah, no, it's religion. Yeah. So that's how you interpret it, I suppose. I mean, I'm not going to personally comment on whether or not I agree with the idea that what faith means to you is all that matters about faith. No, no, no. Let's let's but... say that this is like something that I see repeated a lot in fantasy. I should say that this isn't like yeah, yeah. Span really much beyond this podcast. Sure. Um, I, I, on the other hand, will personally oh, comment right. on okay, it and Pat. say that I think that it's bonkers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like again, let's let's cast it back to the overarching discussion. Yeah. Um, if. Uh, yes, obviously the way that you interpret the coincidence of reality is something that is going to personally impact your viewpoint. That's not like a grand revelation, something that we just couldn't f- possibly figure out. Uh, yeah. The point is, is that if it's all based on only what matters to you, then it's worthless. As far as any overarching... Yeah, yeah, okay. As far as any overarching like view of the world or society, well, it's it's what we talked about earlier. It's ultimately nihilistic. Yeah, it's not. It, like, I mean, if you want to live in a world where it is just all about you, well, some people make that choice and they tend to have miserable lives. Yeah, I, I think like, that was the, the Kane, whole point. That for instance, <laughs> has a miserable yeah. life. Yes, he does. <laughs> yeah, I think that was the whole point of Chris's character was to, was to kind of voice yeah. that possibility. Mm-hmm. You know, so maybe like a little light in the darkness. Like you know, mm-hmm. this book is Stover knew what the book was when he wrote the book. He was like, "This is dark. I need to give them like a like you know a little light by which to see. You know, a little, a little candle in the darkness." Yeah. And, and, and I think yeah, that was Chris uh, that was is the definitely the main. Character. Yeah, he's the main ray of 
light ray of hope in yeah. this book. Although Wraith, again, like Wraith by the Wraith end of it, he's Wraith is probably the most dynamic character in this book. Yeah, probably. I would agree. Ironically, so. ironically, Pallas, the literal goddess, doesn't have much to offer us in this uh, no. arena. So this is something, this was the next uh, character discussion that I wanted to go to, and, it, and it's uh, involves Pallas, but also Kirindal, and like, there's a, an interesting thing where I feel like a lot of fantasy books from, like, the, the early 90s onward, especially written by male writers, went out of their way to strive for some type of equality in point-of-view characters. And when we got that a little bit in Heroes Die, where Palace Rill and Kirindal had significant point of view time, much, much less so in this book. He, I think, uh, Stover kind of admitted that no, this story is just about Kane and to a lesser extent, Milkoth. You know, and so in Blade of Taishal, uh, Palace Rill like really doesn't get much. I mean, she gets killed halfway through, obviously, mm -hmm. and then she has these like weird semi POVs. Yeah. During her struggle, which with, I really uh, enjoyed, those were kind of cool. Just aesthetic they were speaking. cool, yeah. In impersonal but cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. it was personal for Wraith. Yeah. It wasn't personal for Palace. But that's my point: is that all of the the effective, profound personal character development in this book was. For the men, for all male characters, yeah. Kirindal like stays Kirindal. Palace Rill stays Palace Rill. Um, Faith is, as Pat mentioned, a non-character. Like you know, there's there's no character arc or development for her. And I I have to wonder like like do you think this was a good decision? Because I thought in Heroes Die, Palace Rill made a really good foil for Kane. You know, she did. Um, I, I, I will did. comment that uh, uh, Shermaya Dole actually is experienced a, a a taste of real life, and that changed her for the better. That's about as far as Wait. female development goes. Shermaya Dole's dead in Blade of Taishal. Her her like oh, nephew or niece or whatever like cut cut off Shermaya Dole. She was Palace's patron. Oh no, Shauna's sorry. patron. I didn't. I, I, oh, you're talking about Avery Shanks. Yes, I meant Avery Shanks. Oh, Shanks. Sorry. okay. The little businesswoman name. Yes. Confused. Yeah, confused. Yeah, okay. Um, Avery Shanks has. Yes, um, she does. So that. she's really the only. Yeah. Uh, the only dynamic female character. Yes. And I didn't see that yes. coming. I thought she was just like a, when she was introduced. I thought she was just going to be a straight up just villain, like another villain stacked against yeah. the main character. You know. Yeah. I wasn't expecting her to. She and Wraith have she similar. Yes. I mean, Wraith, I think, is is a more uh, a, a more mm, long term hopeful character than Avery mm. because Avery remains like pretty self centered and re retains her like businessman cast mentalities. Especially now that her she, entire cast is threatened by, you know, yeah. outsiders. But but she just decides, like, oh, I'm going to protect Faith. She is more like Kane at the end. Yeah. Where she has this, like... I agree. The things I care about, I will do anything for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, to your point, though, I don't see any realistic way he, that could have been done unless you made... Wraith a female character instead? 
that could have worked. I can't see... It would feel like shoehorning in something. I mean, maybe that's just because I've read the whole work. Yeah, that's that's possible. Without, without, I, without I, an I addition mean, of another really, female character. I can't imagine it would feel too shoehorned in from, from somebody who hasn't read any of these before. Yeah. So I, that that's actually a really interesting point, Pat, that I haven't considered before. It would have been kind of cool if a wraith had been a woman. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Th- there could have been... You'd have to change a few of the I, incidental I, things about... Um, yeah, yeah, to an extent. But it's not like the monastics were sexist. There yeah. are plenty of female monastics. Like, like that. that's, a, that's an interesting... That's an interesting point. I I think that would have been a, a cool dynamic with Kane, and it and it could have even added another layer to like with with the the mind control thing. Yeah. Uh, where you know Kane could have had an even more complicated relationship with Wraith had Wraith been female. Uh, yeah. Hmm. Um, but I don't necessarily see the other the lack of. Um, female uh, f- points of view. Female points of yeah. view as a weakness of the book, because again, it's not really about anyone mm-hmm. else besides Kane. Yeah, and Miles. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. I don't know. I feel like in the in, in the frame of mind in which that that Stover wrote this book, if Wraith had been female, that would that I feel like that may have led to some altogether different but equally horrifying and gruesome kind of just like sexually centered violence um in a, in a different way i don't know yeah 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 for sure i mean they're they're <laughs> another <laughs> another person for colburn to rape it oh jeez we don't need that yeah i know Ah, goddamn, Colbert. Even just the, the saying his yeah. name leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Like, I don't even want to talk about Colbert. No, I don't. I, I, didn't have, I didn't write down anything about Colbert, so I'm totally fine with just skipping that fucker. If you guys are cool Tam with that, too, I mean... Tamilkoff, yeah. go. Well, well no. Um, <laughs> before we get to Tamilkoff, because this will be quick. Yeah. Orbeck. Oh. I want to talk about Orbeck. Sure, yeah. And, you know, like I said, there's not a lot to talk about, but a... Oh, An important he must be thing a happened. More important character in book three, then, considering it's called Im- Kane Black Knife. And now that you want to talk An about Orbeck, important thing happened. Boom. Sorry, go ahead. Where Orbeck adopted Kane formally into the Black Knife clan of the Ogreloi, and we know that Kane's like first breakthrough adventure was uh, retreat from the Bodecan, where he, you know, we don't know the details yet, uh, but he apparently destroyed and dishonored the Black Knife clan. Oh, I had which was, that detail. Yeah, which was at one point the f- most, you know, intimidating, the fiercest, the most violent clan of Ogreloy. And, uh, you know, it, it, but but as uh, Orbeck said, he's like, any, any Black Knife, your dishonor is the clan's dishonor. And your honor is the clan's honor. So, like, oh, because the, the clan was dishonored by Cain, Cain now carries that dishonor. But Cain has the honor of destroying the clan, and now Cain's honor is the clan's honor. Oh. oh. So, Orbeck, in that so one moment, completely erased the cultural ramifications for, for the Black Knife Ogreloy. Good for him. 
I, I hadn't obviously I hadn't considered. I did not. I did not appreciate that on the first read through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I will also say yeah, Orbeck's hilarious. I love Orbeck. Yeah, he was cool. Orbeck is pretty funny. He's like a, a salty, him. salty little punk. Like, <laughs> I mean, big, big punk because he's yes, an ogreloy. Very big. <laughs> and he still got his ass kicked by a fucking dude with a paraplegic. You know? Yeah. Well, he but also I mean, has no an... normal dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's definitely no normal dude. Yeah, no. yeah. So, but I just, I just wanted to bring that up about Orbeck because I think that was a, you know, that's a. A moment in this book that is a big deal but immediately gets swept under the rug because there are more um more exigent issues to be dealt with more immediately pressing conflicts you know mm-hmm. so there's this big character moment where kane says like all right fuck it i'm kane black knife you know <laughs> and yeah. uh and yeah, like you said, Robbie, you know that's going to be an issue in the next book because it's called Game Black Knife. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah, cool. Uh, who are we, are we uh, about wrapping up with our discussion about? Uh, oh, sorry, it was Orbeck. We were we were just on there. Uh, where did you want to go next? I, I feel like well, we we're about to jump. We have Tannel, Koth, and Kane. There we go. That's They're the yeah. last two. Yeah. yeah. And I have. I mean, I love <laughs> <laughs> that character. So I have a lot to talk about with Tannel Koth. Is sure. this going to be a two-hour episode? I'm oh, glad, I'm glad you have a lot to. Don't know. Maybe we'll uh, we'll play it by ear. <laughs> I'm glad you have a lot to talk about about Tannelkoth because it, it's almost like I kind of blew my whole Tannelkoth load, metaphorically speaking, in the previous episode. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's I mean, fair. I did I did blow a, a, a nasty load of done. Well, hold on. <laughs> uh, about <laughs> about Tannelkoth, not on Tannelkoth. <laughs> Oh, and this I, is Baron. the Freudian episode. Yeah. Okay, Baron. Episode 15. <laughs> Freud meets Inking Out Loud. <laughs> Tonalkoth is still a brilliantly written character as well. Every fucking scene that he's in is a, is a golden scene. Well, well, yeah, yeah. Every scene he's <sighs> in. Not scenes that he's involved in necessarily, but scenes that he, that like, from his point of view, are pretty yeah. damn yeah. awesome. Um, I felt like it was almost a waste to kill him at the end. Cause but like, he didn't well, die. Well, he's not dead. Well, that's, that's why, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, he's, you know, I mean, you still have his no great dead. banter with Kane. Like. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like, with with with, <laughs> with Donald Koth, um, it, shit got really dark, clearly, uh, with where he yeah. went. But uh, still, he was, uh, you know, hold on. There, there, was a, there was a note I had written here specifically about his recurring line. And I... I just can't get enough of the I am Tonel Ka. That, <laughs> yeah. that coming back again and again. I, I'm starting to realize that Stover, uh, Stover, Jesus, Stover is showing a knack for saying so much with so very little. Um, think about like what is mm-hmm. contained in that statement. I am Tonel Ka. You have I, you know, I, I am, which is like literally the shortest concise idea one could possibly form, and then you follow sure. it up only with Tonel Ka. Which adds identity to that statement, and it ends the idea, the entire idea, right there. But then you consider what it means, and everything it mm-hmm. says without needing to say. And this, uh, there were there were three moments where he had this this golden one-liner. It was in chapter five, uh, when Hari is talking to Jed Clearlake. Um, it's uh, in in the text. Hari hit the cancel and folded down the screen. Tonalkoth rose and stretched until his shoulder joints popped with like, with a pair of meaty squelches. Success. You're sure? I am Tonal Koth. 
He said this without even the ghost of a smile. And then he said it again in chapter 7. And then he said it again in chapter 13. You know? Uh, Avery mm-hmm. Shanks is questioning him. She says, you're in mind view. Right now, don't you have to concentrate? And he goes, I am concentrating. Well, then how can you still talk? I am Tonal Ka. Yeah. Uh, you know, in each case, every case <laughs> where in which this happened, it happened with, with Kohlberg as well. Every single time that he got to use that line, it, there was somebody casting doubt or at least question towards his ability. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. only response that he deigned necessary was a statement of identity. Mm. To this yeah. man who used to be a god, identity and ability are one in the same thing. And Stover yep. he doesn't choose to throw them all at you at once. He leaves enough space in between that it finds its way back into the narrative as more than a declaration. It's it's a reminder. You know? Yeah. So so like what I wanted to talk about with Tanakoth's character is how he builds what is essentially a new character on yep. the foundation of Milekoth in Heroes Die, where he's able to do things like this, where just the line, I am Tanakoth, tells you everything you need to know because you have the context from Heroes Die of Milekoth and you know his the, the supreme confidence. Mm-hmm. That he carries. But as Tanokov, he has different motivations and different worries and different, you know, aspirations. And he acts differently because he's in different circumstances and he has renamed himself and remodeled his whole personality around this to the point where Milkov is now just the leading voice in his head. Among the billions of beloved children, you know, yes. where it, it, he's dissociated himself mentally from what he was before. And that word was is the operating yeah. factor there. And that's, you know, the, the name change. Mylkoth means in, in uh, uh, what is it? Lipkin means I am limitless. And Tanokoth means I was limitless. Yep. So all of Tanokoth's character is built around what was but with a uh, a strong driven aspiration to regain what was and that's his main flaw as a character because he retains this confidence of what was without realizing like like he's made the separation of identity but he he retains the uh, uh, the mindset mm. and he doesn't realize that that's not like that's not the case anymore yeah he's not infallible he doesn't know everything like he there's he much that more that he's not aware of and he falls hard yeah because of that. because of his hubris he wasn't even truly limitless before no no tell the truth but he, he wasn't but he was he near was lot, limitless yeah, he was a and, lot more and and you know basically the only person in heroes die who could prove his limits was kane yeah so whereas in this he expects kane i mean all throughout the book when he's dealing with the board of governors when he's you know he's dealing with avery shanks he's talking to people and he's like you are underestimating kane yeah because he still has the mindset of like I'm limitless, but Kane is the only one who can beat me, 
And so these other people, he's like, no, you don't get it. You don't get it. Kane can beat you because he beat me. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't realize in his current state, way more than Kane can beat him. Yeah. Well, like, yeah, indeed. Yeah. You have to like, consider uh, Kohlberg for one. <laughs> well, the blind the God in general. Yeah. 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 Like, uh... Tunnel Cuts, like his, his, the sheer range of his status, like as an entity. You know, from thinking himself endless to being like now humbled as a mortal, now now front to conf- like sorry, forced to confront how small he always was. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, when, when, like especially in his interactions with Kohlberg, uh, you know, it's only going to steal his nerve. I think going forward, as who I assume is going to be a main antagonist going forward, um, even though he's kind of dead pseudo pseudo dead at the end of the at the end of the book i still think he's going to be a i don't know he's just too awesome of a character not to continue to cause problems in his own kind of badass <laughs> way okay so that's i mean that's just one prediction i have going forward i yeah. appreciated uh, that honto the scythe um played a, a a big role in the whole uh faith thing that was that was really good yeah uh, i, I enjoyed the crap identity. out of that yeah, is still is still there, and like it's played off as is like oh it's just one among many, but uh, <laughs> it's it's yeah it it is a pivotal moment yeah for so. his character and well really for, I mean for the for the book mm-hmm. yeah 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 if if Hato the Scythe didn't take that opportunity didn't lie in the weeds and wait for that all was lost yeah. Yeah, so we kind of have um, almost a dual nature in Tanelkoth. <coughs> dual nature. <coughs> Excuse me. Subtle <laughs> <coughs> as ever. I like it. Indeed. But, uh, it's almost like this is a theme in the series or yeah, something. Almost damn damn near. <laughs> Reminds me of one of the times a friend of mine said, uh, I was talking about a distance, and I said 300 yards, and he's like, 300 yards? That's gotta be close to 900 feet. Like, <laughs> damn near. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. close enough damn so near. to make a difference. But no, I, I think, uh, so staying on Talakoth, but uh, we haven't really talked about his relationship with Kane, mostly because we talked about it in the first half, and it doesn't sure, have sure. much of an impact on the second half. Basically, the end of this book here, mm. right, uh, is the first time we get in the text the uh, overt admission. And it's from Cain's point of view where he, where he says outright, he's like, you know, I think he was in love with me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was implied, you know, there was some repressed homoeroticism between Cain and Milecoth in Heroes Die and... And possibly not repressed homoeroticism between Milkoff and Bairn. Uh, but but this, you know, these male-to-male relationships in whatever manner they develop has always been a, a big point in the series. And that's why when you talked about earlier, you mm. didn't feel like it lost anything by losing uh, female point-of-view characters. Ah. I think I agree with you because from the get-go... The most important relationships have been 
these male-to-male relationships, whether they're friendships between Cain and Majesty, and how those turn out, and or or you know between Cain and Chris, mm-hmm. or Cain and Milecoth, or Milecoth and Bairn. It's all about the male-to-male relationships across a spectrum, and this is the first time at the end of. Blade of Taishel, where Cain openly admits, you know what, like, there was definitely, like, a homoerotic mm. connection between M- Milkoff and me. Although, he does uh, point out that it wasn't so much physical from Milkoff's mm-hmm, point mm-hmm, of view, mm-hmm. which is another interesting thing about Milkoff's Yeah, more homoromantic, maybe, than homoerotic? Yeah. It's yeah. strange to me that someone who, uh, going through life as Honto the Scythe, is like this crippled, deformed person, and then turned himself, made himself beautiful, yes, has no interest, or at least limited interest, in uh, physical relations. That those two things strike me as strange. See, I don't. I don't think so. I. I didn't. Because. Yeah. I always I saw like his his philosophy true. on like beauty hmm. as an abstract thing. Like and, yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, and so so I could see him having much more of an attraction to emotional connections hmm. that you know, he's like uh, you know, like physical stuff, meh. Like I want people to understand me and love me and I want to understand and love them if I can respect them. And the only two people he respected were Baron and Kane for very different reasons. Yes. Quite obviously. I mean Yeah. <laughs> there there are only a very like very limited few reasons to respect Baron in any sense. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but but it was because of Baron's yeah, understanding they- of him. You know, it was it was Baron's willingness to work with him, and it was it was Baron's vulnerability when it came down to like the core of his character. Like Baron was was an incredibly insecure person, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like he was mm-hmm. he he was the definition of over freaking compensation. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> everything. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah. But but Kane, meanwhile, understood the 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 like. L- logical and rational uh, inclinations of Milkoff mm. and understood his like peculiar desires to control things and that was why he had that initial bond with Kane mm-hmm. yeah. no that's a, that's a good point that's a good point it could be that that Kane as an as an icon to the people and the legends about him present the only thing that Milokoth can see as anything close to, to, to his level of deific um, right, I suppose. Um, Cain is somebody who is worthy of, you know, in, in the manner in which he is, is, is treated um, as, as like a, a public symbol is the only thing that is, that's, that's, that, you know, stands at least even close to his level. Um, mm-hmm. Mile yeah, Koth certainly a, from Milecoth's Mile perspective, Koth, that is the like, case. Milecoth is a very, very egocentric um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. being. 
I mean, yeah, his flaw is hubris. His yeah. flaw is it's, that and it's like, almost self, excess well, of pride. Self-masturbatory, but I suppose masturbatory kind of <laughs> implies that already, doesn't it? Uh, in in the manner in which that that he kind of uh, I don't know it, it pursues his relationship with Cain. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, so let's go to Cain here. Yeah. Okay. Let's discuss and our. Uh, we, we've we've already. Hero. I mean, we've incidentally. Talked about we have talked aspects. a lot about Kane. Yes, we already. Have. I mean, I but... only have one or two more points to even mention about Kane, but I mean, they're still, you know. I want to talk about Kane's relationship with Delian at the end of this book. Uh, yeah, okay. Because, like, the last chapter, a significant amount of it is Kane and Delian talking. And I think it exposes an interesting part of Kane's character. That you, what you would expect through like 95% of this book and Heroes Die is that Kane is a very forward looking person. So much of Heroes Die was like him saying, Look, it's over with Shauna. Stop trying to make me force this. Life goes on. And, and it's his motivation was inch toward daylight, which is a forward moving thing. It's leaving the past behind. But yet, at the end of this book, Delian, Chris Hansen, reveals that Cain does have a little more of a, a vulnerability to nostalgia. When they're sitting there drinking their 100-year-old Tanaran brandy, and Cain is the one who brings up, what were we drinking that last night at, you know, the conservatory? And Cain is the one who's digging into their past relationship as Hari and Chris. Maybe it just takes a long time to break bad habits. Sure, sure. But but I think it makes Kane a little more of an empathetic character. It, you know, there's very little, uh, as we've talked about earlier, you know, ray of light yeah. type stuff with Kane at the end of this book. But his relationship with Chris, I think, is the most hopeful because a lot of what Kane has done through the first two books is pretty self-centered or adjacent to self-centered where it's like, Oh, it's my family. But Chris is a friend. He's not family. Chris is the one who centers them as twins in this book. Not Kane, mm -hmm. not Hari. Yeah. I have a feeling that feeling that Kane would be like, yeah, he wouldn't classify it as such. No, no, he, he doesn't. And, even be like and, and he, he calls him, my best friend. He yeah. calls him friend over and oh, over he, and over again. Yeah. And, and uh, there's another line, you know, that I highlighted at the end of the book where, where Kane is talking to Chris and he says, you know, there are only three people I've ever trusted in my life. One of them is my dad and the other two are you. Yeah. And, and it pains Kane <laughs> in that character so much that, well, or I suppose it's, uh, it's not even Kane that notices this. It's Wraith in that moment who notices it must pain Cain so much not to include his wife on that list. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. like yeah. Mm, foundational relationship problems. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. But but so it's it's an interesting kind of ending for Cain, where as Pat mentioned earlier, it's all about revenge for him. It's it's the satisfaction of revenge. It's not necessarily mm. a catharsis for his character because his character sort of stops growing in the last quarter of the book. He hits a point in the shaft and then he just coasts 
Yeah. He just makes his choices, and, and it's because his decision in the Shaft is nothing matters. Uh, the only meaning that's real is the meaning I ascribe to events, so I'm just going to do my shit. I would say that I started right around the time that, that Chris flashed with him, and, and Hari uh, Kane learned everything. Um, like the like where he fit into the plan, um, he definitely started to pick up a lot of momentum there. Um, I think that was actually his lowest point uh, in like uh, in this entire book. If not, I'm assuming this is his lowest point in the entire series when he's at the bottom of the yeah. shaft there. Uh, yeah, um, no, that's I mean, that's things are fair. I feel like that's him. not a spoiler. They are There's very, no <laughs> very bad for him, and we only see it. It's like still getting worse. Uh, at that point, you don't know if it's over yet, and that's the worst part. Uh, but it, I think it's, as far as the character of Kane goes, it's interesting to note that intentionally or not, even in his catatonic state over the, the gruesome death of the mother of his child, Kane still fights back in only like in the only way that he can. And I, I suspect he doesn't even realize he's doing it, in a way. Uh, his completely uncaring attitude about mm -hmm. Wraith's and identity just completely incenses man um, instinctual in so, violence he he denies the man the only validation for his crimes that really matters to him in a way that like kane manages to turn even his lack of fighting into a devastating blow uh to, mm -hmm. to wraith's you know character at that time to his his, his self-worth um but um and the only other thing i wanted to, to discuss about, about kane here is that whether or not it's a result of his learning that what you know what's happening to poor faith um we see another kind of example of blatant sadomasochism from kane to cope with this kind of horror uh he begins punching the stone you know the stone floor yes shredding his yes. knuckles he's bleeding everywhere and then he thinks he thinks very distinctly and clear clearly i wrote this down this is the kind of pain i can handle this is the kind of pain i'd like so i do it again and mm -hmm. I think this, that, right there, this instant, this is the moment that the lowest point that we see Kane sink to. Uh, it's absolute, and forgive me for using the expression, considering the, the context, rock bottom for his character. Um, <laughs> you know, wife dead, legs dead, daughter in the hands of a child molesting abomination. The only thing left yeah. in his world at that moment is pain, but it's a different kind of pain. And that's what he latches onto. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, you know, the most... despite the fact that I haven't read this rest of the series yet, I assume we really don't see Kane at a much lower point than this one. Like it's all uphill, I assume, like a ship, like a slippery, shit-encrusted hill to climb. But uphill, but I, I would the the shaft is the rock bottom, the the nadir of his yeah. character arc. Sorry, I feel like I cut uh, Pat off at the end there. Were you gonna say something? Um, the most fucked up part about the whole Shaft sequence, as far as Kane goes, is that he says that he's happy. And that's one of, like, the, what, two times in his life that he was happy? Then in Adventure when he was State. chained yep. to the wall and yep. he was delirious at yep. that point? Was yep. That, yeah. I, I don't know if his happiness was due to delirium. <laughs> I mean, but it kind if of you're chained to a there. wall with fucking paralyzed legs that are dead... Well, it's not the circumstance, it's not the... And he's it's not happy. the physical circumstances that makes him happy. It's the, like, philosophical circumstances where it's, like, he can just, like, stop caring and make his own decisions. 
And while I may not agree with that mindset, I think that's, like, real, real bad. Uh, <laughs> I suppose uh, there's a power to it to know that shit can't get worse. So everything I do is only going to make things better. <laughs> like, you know, like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But, I don't know, I, there's, there's, uh, there's more to Kane that we'll discuss later on and you okay, know as good. these books go on obviously uh, although actually I do have one more thing to bring up shoot let's go uh and it's maybe less about Kane's character and more about a specific scene with Kane and Milecoth and that is on the street with Kosal their final standoff the yeah. descriptions around that scene there's this impression of an infinite moment yeah uh yeah if it was infinite moment it struck me as an oxymoron i actually remember reading that earlier today as i went and skimmed through you're right you got yeah, that yeah. you nailed that cuz i so so you know i uh highlighted this and there's there's a whole paragraph describing like the street where he says Milecos brought his own kind of spring, drawing life from the city's fallow earth, you know. And it's where like social police and household knights and good old Onconan regular infantry digging themselves out of their burrows of rubble, helping each other up, even the wounded, even the dying, so that all can rise in respect, then kneel in reverence at the arrival of God. And it's weird. Weird, weird is the scum. only word for it. Not in the debased and degraded sense of the meal, mere peculiar. Weird in the old sense. The Scottish sense. The old English root. Weird. You know, W-Y-R-D. And he says, because somehow I have always been here. And there's this, like, multi-page description of, like, this infinite moment. And there's, like, there's a real shift in tone with this scene and with this climax. Because, obviously, we've had, like, gods and men fighting and, and dealing with each other through Heroes Die and Blade of Taishal. But in this moment, Cain seems to be elevated onto the plane of gods, where he's experiencing events outside of time and he uses a term during this where he says it's raining weird he's used it a couple of times before really yeah yeah we're, we're like we're talking about like something's like really messed up and he's like it's raining weird huh and i realize that that's like it it it's an important thing at the end of this book because it's such a dramatic shift, but it's so skillfully done where if you don't think about it in the moment, it you, you can just kind of gloss over like, oh, it's this like climactic, you know, in the moment thing for the main character that you get in a lot of other books. I mean, you, you could compare it to like uh, the flame in the void in the wheel of time or, you know. You know, where, where it's like a oneness, where you're connected to everything. Mm -hmm. But when you think about the way this is worded here versus the way uh, 
he describes walking out onto the Sand of Victory Stadium at the end of Heroes Die. It's a very different description. It's a very different experience of the moment. Yeah. And I think that's a like a dramatic, dramatic shift that happens right at the end of this book. So No good yeah, good point. Point. That's uh that's something that I hadn't appreciated on my first read through either. We've we've seen this kind of thing before from other characters, but it's it is weird coming from Kane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I hope <laughs> if you plan on keeping up with the series, I hope you like things like that. Well, if you do, yeah, I, I think it's safe up. to say that we'll be keeping up with the series at least on, 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 yeah, you know, yeah, on the yeah. podcast here. Yeah. Sweet. But but that was that was my last you know uh, point about Kane. Do you guys have anything more you want to talk uh, about? No, no, I, I pretty much covered everything Kane related that I wanted to uh, at least directly Kane related that I wanted to discuss today. But you, I've I have shot my last bolt. All Sweet. right. Uh, so so we wanna, final we draft. Next? Uh, the, the, well, I mean, that was just about Kane. I still have a couple of just miscellaneous thoughts to get out of the way. Oh, sure. Final uh, thoughts. Yeah, let's yeah, do it. Yeah, let's do some final thoughts before we get to the uh, final draft here. Um, so, you know, I was, uh, I was very torn, as I said at the top of the show. <laughs> you know, it was a fantastic <laughs> novel, but a horrible read. Um, Stoner yeah. definitely proved himself as a writer to me with Heroes Die, and he only got better uh, with his prose in this volume. You know, it was longer. It was funnier. It was more beautiful and downright disgusting like, all at once. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. S- yeah, I mean, this is a small interesting note. Um, during chapter 23, uh, I was reading and I came across a reference. Uh, when the, It was when the social police removed his helmet and we um, finally got a glimpse of his face. Yeah. And we read, It's like the Patriarch and Shazam and Captain Marvel vanished, leaving a middle-aged book keeper in his place and it made me laugh out loud because at that that very moment that i read that i was in a car in the passenger seat in london ontario heading back to my sister's house having just left the theater after watching you guessed captain it, marvel captain marvel <laughs> so i mean i had literally just left <clears throat> the seat in the theater about eight minutes before reading that line i swear to god so, I mean, it just it kind of made me laugh out loud. Uh, that, I that love it when things like that moment. happen. Yeah, um, that's great. The, you, I mean, the, the, the Cosmere lines. And... Yeah. Um, I also want to say, like, I want to point out how incredibly easy it was to find those quotes uh, about Donald Koth. You know, every single time that he mentioned, I am Donald oh, yeah. Koth, you know, with an e-reader. It was really easy to find those those quotes, actually. Uh, all yeah, I had to yeah. do was open the search and book function and, and those just type those three words and boom, I had... You know, chapter this, chapter that, chapter that. Which how, you know, the progression through the chapter it happened. I could go right there with a click, a click of a button. It was it was awesome. I mean, I have physical copies of most cop like most books we've read so far on this podcast. But just the e-reader, I mean, nothing, nothing really, really beats that. You know. Yeah. No. It's it's e-readers. I will admit are uh, they're extremely useful for. Like you know, uh, literary criticism purposes. Yeah. yeah, and my very my very last last thought of the, of the show is, is I want to say that uh, it was really cool. Uh, one thing stylistically speaking that Stover did um, when he was describing the state of those afflicted with HRVP on Overworld, he mm-hmm. he chooses to dissect and reconfigure one particular word in a very interesting way. Uh, it's when he uses the oh. word unhuman time and time again. 
Uh, oh yeah unhuman like reading this i thought okay someone in the editing process really dropped the ball on this one uh but then i came to see it for what it was it's just a new word to, to me at least it's a new word where like inhuman the word i took it to mean means non-human unhuman specifically implies a subject that is no longer human yeah and yeah. that is downright terrifying to consider yeah, yeah. That yeah. it's, that so it's that's a my fundamental thought. change for the show, yeah. In your like RNA, yeah, yep. throwing uh, throwing some foreshadowing mm. to when we finally get to the gap. Absolutely. Oh, jeez. Oh, oh, oh. Now there's some dark shit. Yeah, though, yeah. Like, that yeah. is my flavor of dark <laughs> well, shit. Well, any, anyway, so Pat, do you have any final thoughts <laughs> oh, that you want to go over? Okay, hold on. Guys, I'll, I'll be right back. Like, I hear something. I'm <clears> to go over. Continue. I'll be right back. Um. No, I, I I don't have any. Uh, okay. Well, final final thoughts. So I do have a couple, and uh, as reluctant as I am to touch on the subject, I do want to go into the blind god. Mm. I'm not going to talk about Kohlberg specifically, right? Uh, because I'm I you know I, I'm done reading this book. I'm done with Kohlberg. I'm I'm done with all of that you know, awfulness. But one of my favorite things in this book was uh, the way Stover continues to draw back uh, references to our current timeline. Mm -hmm. You know, you have like Microsoft and, yeah. you know, Turner and, and all these different things. And, and uh, the blind god, and the way the blind god concentrates its power is through Sim City. <laughs> yes. It's, it, it's called Sim River, but it's built on the same game engine as Sim City. Mm -hmm. And it and it's like a massively multiplayer online version of Sim City, only, you know, they're all doing uh god things with the river. <laughs> and so it's turning this like common video game from the 90s into this epic godlike focus and and i i just i thought that was the the coolest reference back to his time you know making sim river a thing so i i appreciated that and the whole like uh, implication uh that that has on video games as a form of entertainment mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. Were, was really interesting. It, it, I mean, it came and went pretty quickly, but it got yeah. me thinking a lot. Yeah, yeah. So I definitely appreciated that sequence. Yeah. So, but yeah, but yeah so that's that's my last uh, my last thought. And and so now do we want to move on to the final draft here? Let's do it. Yeah, maybe we can do that for sure. All right, Rob, kick it off. I'll, I'll even kick it off. Yeah, because I mean, as I admitted uh, earlier in the show, like I. Uh, didn't <laughs> I totally forgot to go and get a beer for this <laughs> podcast? So I just raided the fridge and I found, of course, you know, good old trusty Molson Canadian again. I think this is like my fifth or sixth time having the, you know, oh, the I... Molson Canadian on the show. Dude. It's it's a solid choice. I I just you know it's a it's your average standard beer. Average yeah, standard. I, there's, there's I guess that's also kind of that, a bit and... of a redundant, but you know, it's you know, every <laughs> it's it's a safe. Safe choice. I yeah, never go wrong with that one. You know, most. Yeah, listen. Case. Like, I, I'm a hockey player. Ass. That I I can't talk about the number of times that I've had a Molson in the locker room after a, yep. you know beer league if game I'm on Wednesday night and going I'm, somewhere. I'll just bring a Molson because uh, I, I no one. Yeah. 
really it's drinkable it's easy it's better than most of the shitty domestics in america like budweiser (laughs) Budweiser, like (laughs) oh sorry that was a weird sounding cough that one no that made me actually cough now sorry uh yeah (laughs) so go ahead (laughs) yeah uh and and so pat uh, yes. Um, drop the ball a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I, I was at, like I mentioned, I was at the grocery store, and we can See, buy full beer in Colorado at the grocery store now. But more I didn't. than I did, I didn't get to the grocery store. So for the for this podcast, I have been enjoying the crisp, wonderful, <laughs> cool, refreshing juice of the apple, brought to us by uh, Kroger. I'm assuming. <laughs> And oh my you know what? Gosh. Uh, I love beer, but I have no regrets. This is apple delicious. Juice or apple cider. <laughs> apple juice. Juice? juice? Apple oh, juice. man, you gotta get that cider up in you. I had some cider yeah. the other day. I forgot how good I it appreciate is. them both. I oh, appreciate so them good. both. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, well, it's it's a good thing that this was the episode that you guys dropped the ball on because I think I have a beer that makes up for. Yes. Yes. Good. For, for this. Uh, Please save the you know, day. thinking about Blade of Taishal, I was like, you know, man, what the heck am I going to buy that will be thematically appropriate for this? And I, you know, like I've been seeing this beer on the shelves in liquor stores in Colorado for like a year now. It's from a, a small brewery like in like Podunk, Colorado, like on southwest in the mountains. It's called Elevation Brewing Company. Elevation. Yeah, Ele- Elevation Brewing Company. Uh, so it's a bourbon barrel stout. It is called Oil Man. Uh, of course it is. Oh, God oh, damn it, it. That was clever. <laughs> yeah, damn. so I hadn't I hadn't tried this. I've been seeing <laughs> it all over for like a year now as this place started. This particular beer, Oil Man, the the standard bourbon barrel aged imperial stout I have never had before tonight. I've had the coffee variant and the coconut variant of it, but even Ooh, those I just coconut? had for the first time like oh, like a month ago. Coconut. Oh, dude, the the coconut, oh, oh it's uh, so good. Yeah, man, you, you don't you haven't lived until you've had a coconut bourbon barrel stout. Add that to the I, list. For some man. reason, Come for some soon. reason, like every every bourbon barrel stout like for like. Doesn't matter the brewery, like doesn't matter the quality of the bourbon barrel stout. They throw coconut in that shit, and it's delicious. Oh, coconut! It just works with the bourbon. Dog shit, delicious, but, man. But yeah, I mean this this is the the straight up the the original oil man, uh, and and man, it's it's thick. It is dark. Thick it with is two C's. oily as you would expect, mm. and I mean you got, you got like a lot of chocolate and and just really sweet boozy flavor in here and it is so good it is delicious i can confirm yeah 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 let pat try a little bit of it while we were going through the episode i get my hands on a can or a glass a jar what is it whatever you got a lot of stuff on your list yeah when when you come visit in four collins if i have one beer of every beer you want me to try i will still end up in the hospital yeah, probably. I mean, you're going to need to spend like three or four days here to get oh. through everything. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, Sweet. But yeah, so I, I think that's uh, uh, a wrap on the final draft, yeah? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, so this has been Inking Out Loud episode 15. 15 episodes. Yeah. And uh, I am your host, Drew McCaffrey, with your co-host, Rob Santos. Word. 
and our excellent guest, Pat McCaffrey. Deuces. Yo. Yeah, and uh, next up, so next week, we will be doing the entirety of Skyward by Brandon Sanderson. More Brandon Sanderson, yes. Yeah, we... Always welcome. <laughs> we needed a little bit of a lighter, you know, uh, uh, e- easier read, a, a little less horrific than Kane. You know, uh, before we go back into Kane Blackknife. Mm. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we will be going over the whole book. We're not doing two episodes for that one. Yeah. So uh, if, if you plan on reading that uh, along with us, definitely now's the time to dive in and, and yeah, do some work. Yeah, join us next week. But, uh, yeah, for now, you know, this is this has been a great episode, guys. <laughs> I think this is our Hell longest yeah. one yet. Yep, It is. By a substantial mark. Oh boy, yeah, yeah. This is this is a monster. So thanks, Dover. But... <laughs> thanks, Obama. <laughs> thanks, Obama. <laughs> oh man. Well, as always, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye, everybody. Adios.